Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Sonia Thompson. She was searching for sperm. She found some crazy love. First, we're interviewing her, and then we're interviewing her son, Andrew. Sonia, welcome. All right, you ready to have some fun? I like your your backdrop. Very nice. Thank you. It's funny because my husband's like, should I build you a real background? I'm like, (laughs) I like the virtual. I think it's fun. Your dad seems like a cool guy. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely. I was talking to my mom this morning and she was like, I'm not sure I'd want to hear that story. (laughs) We're like, (laughs) what part wouldn't she want to talk about? You know, the whole like manipulating a man to have a child type. Yeah. Do you feel like it was manipulation? I think that had he said, I've got a condom, I would have been like, oh, no, 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 or made up some, you know what I mean? I probably would have been like, it feels so much better without, but he didn't. So I, yeah. Okay, so let's take it back to like, it's funny when we were talking, you're like, yeah, I got a job like in the horse and carriage business. And I'm like, that's cool. Like I've been on one of those. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your experience in Louisville experience in Louisville was really, I mean, I was there for probably the majority of my adult life. So a week before I turned 21, I moved from, you know, a small town in Minnesota that bored right next to Fargo, don't you know, (laughs) North Dakota. So I moved to Louisville, which was a huge city for me, you know, 30,000 people in the small town of Moorhead, Minnesota. So Louisville was huge. And very, very cool that the first job that I got there was working with horses. It was, it couldn't have been any, you know, of course you got a job working with horses when you moved to Kentucky. Driving horse and carriage for five years in downtown Louisville was a pretty sweet gig where I was like, they're paying me to do this. Really, really cool. Wow. Is there any kind of training? I think that they have as what they would consider shadowing, you know, where you ride with an experienced driver and kind of learn the routes and learn the temperaments of the horses and the do's and the don'ts and and kind of see how people interact. You know, if you've been on one, people either want to have a tour or talk, or they just want you to turn around and drive, like they're having a romantic moment or whatever. You would learn quickly. But the really cool thing about, well, a lot of cool things about horse and carriage, but people like in reference to being like a server or a waiter or something like that, people have to eat, even if they're pissed off. Nobody goes on a horse and carriage ride when they're in a bad mood. It's a happy thing. So that was kind of like, I got to be the best of kind of like in the service industry, but where everybody's just really having a good time. That was pretty sweet. What other cool things about horse and buggy? When I had some super cool people in the back of my carriage, I would go like cut through a parking lot and there's a liquor store that's on a one-way street the other way. So I'd go down the sidewalk the wrong way and go to the liquor store or go through the drive-through at McDonald's and get ice cream cones. <laughs> so people are like, she is really cool. What else sticks out in your mind about Louisville? 
Now, when I go back, the things that stick out are, of course, Muhammad Ali and the Muhammad Ali Center. Also, the Louisville Slugger. I'm a grandma. I've taken my grandson to the Louisville Slugger Museum, which is super cool. My son was born in Louisville. You know, all of his schooling was there. He did the YMCA sports. I coached every single one of his sports from the age of four until... 14, I believe. But we had so much fun. I remember one of the soccer years, we didn't score any. The only goal we made the whole entire year was on ourselves. And we celebrated because it was a goal that was made. And I had some parents from the other team that came up to me afterwards. And they're like, we want our kid to be on your team after because you guys are having so much fun. My philosophy was if they're having a good time, if they're having fun, if you make it fun, they're going to want to continue playing it. And the more that they continue playing it, then they're just going to get better. That was a really significant thing about Louisville and, and receiving awards through the YMCA, you know, nominating me as a source of excellence or whatever, that being honored by that was really cool too. And did you ever think that you would do that? Interestingly, I've always known that I was a lesbian from second grade, you know, the prettiest girl in the class. I've always known that. So I don't think that I ever thought that I would biologically have a child. I thought that I would probably date somebody or be with somebody who had a child, that I would become a parent or a role model. But actually giving birth was something that I never thought that I would do. And my friends were like, what? And then the things that happened in my life after that, it was like, oh, I joined the PTA. And they're like, what? I'm like, I know. And then I joined, like, (laughs) I bought an apron because I'm like, what? So the evolution of me, did I ever really think that I would be doing that? No, you know, but it just kind of fell in and it became something that became my life. And I have parents of kids and even kids who I'm still connected with and they'll always be, you know, it's kind of like extended family. Yeah. Talk to me about writing the note to the prettiest girl in the class. Debbie King. She was the prettiest girl in the class. She was the most popular. Every Valentine's Day, you have those, the little cutout Valentine's Day cards. Well, she got a big one. I had the little ones for everybody else, but I made her this huge, a huge Valentine's Day card. And I gave it to her and my heart was just so, you know, warm and fuzzy. And I went into the cafeteria at lunch that day. And there was Debbie King sitting at a table with all of her other little popular friends and they pointed at me and they started laughing and they were like, you were my sweat heart. <laughs> so I misspelled sweetheart. And I think as I was telling you, I became an English major. Like, I'm going to fix that. That's never going to happen. So yeah, second grade. Who does that? Did you tell your parents about that? No, I don't think so. You know, it wasn't until high school when I told my mom or my mom and I had a conversation. How could you even know me? You don't know who I am. Talking about being a lesbian. And she said, oh, honey, you were hugging your friends much too much hard that she already knew. You know, like if you're sitting in the kitchen and you have your arms around them, it just wasn't, she knew. And was she okay with it? Yeah, my mom is really super, you know, your daddy's pretty cool. My mom is super cool. She's very, very much a positive, optimistic I think the thing for me where she has not necessarily struggled, but shown concern was that she wants me to be happy in all things, you know, so she knows that homosexuality is something that's discriminated against and you can receive backlash from people and and that it's harder. It's harder. It would be so much easier if I was heterosexual. 
And, and I totally agree. But for me, it's a matter of happiness. You endure some of the crap along the way to do something that actually genuinely, I'm true to myself. Yeah. So I want to talk about how the kid came about because that is a very unique story. Yeah. You know, I had written, this was many years ago, I guess, like in the later 90s when I went to U of L. One of my short stories was the first line of my short story was, we needed sperm. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I don't know many people who wouldn't not keep reading, you know, after that. So yeah, I was dating a woman who had a son who was three years old and we really wanted to extend the family. She said that she thought that I should be the one to give birth because she already had a biological child. And at the time I was going to U of L, so I was like, well, I'd really like to graduate. And then, and she said, well, no, because a four-year-old and a newborn is much more compatible than a seven-year-old and a newborn. So I was like, okay. And so, you know, she said that I could continue going to school. She would take care of the kids. And then after I graduated, she could go back to school and get a degree. And I could take, you know, it just sounded all perfect. It sounded so great. We asked a bunch of guys who we knew, you know, if they would consider donating their sperm and they were flattered, but thought it was too much of a commitment, too much of a responsibility and just, you know, were not okay with it. So I called up a guy who I used to drive horse and carriage with. And I asked him if he wanted to go have a beer with my hot girlfriend. And I, and he was a good old country boy. He is a good old country boy. Met us out for a beer. Very charming, very handsome. So yeah, we invited him back to her house. We had a three-way. I was the only one who had intercourse with him. But yeah, one time after it was done, after the climax, we were like, okay, that was fun, you know, and he put his boots back on, he left, and then I was up in the bicycle position. For <laughs> I was like, okay, go now so I can <laughs> elevate. I wasn't going to say anything to him even, but a friend of mine had said, what if your child years down the road says, you mean my dad doesn't even know I exist? So I was like, okay, yeah, so I need to you know, let him know. So I told him and yeah, that was a whole other, you know, I don't think that my son ever even connect with his dad or his dad's side of the family, because at the time of conception, he and his wife were separated. And when I told him, Hey, I'm pregnant. He had seen her at a friend's mutual friend's wedding or something. And they decided to reconcile and get back together. And I was like, don't worry about it. You don't have to say anything. I'm not asking anything of you, you know? So yeah, it wasn't until years later that actually I needed a passport for my son to visit my sister who was living in Italy, in Milan at the time. I wish that his dad's side of the family would have been in his life sooner because they're such wonderful people. But yeah. That's great. Yeah. So three months into my pregnancy, when the girl I was dating said, you know, I really, I see myself marrying a man and having a father for my son. And so I was single and it was devastating, but I wouldn't, you know, despite all of that and how horribly painful it was, I have my son who's now 25 and, and I have to thank you for, you know, the conversation that we had was really inspirational. And he and I started this podcast, Thompson Talk. We're like episode three. <laughs> so yeah, despite all of that pain that I went through being pregnant and, you know, emotions are and hormones are, we're so crazy high and, and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't change any of it. I believe that everything happens for a reason for sure. Your son is podcasting with you? Yeah, isn't that great? You got your daddy and I got 
Oh my God. I am so excited about that. I cannot wait to listen. That's amazing. It's not so much fun. No, my mom this morning said, you guys look like you're having probably the most fun, (laughs) probably more fun than anybody who's listening. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. That is what it's about. Totally. That special time together. I mean, that is my favorite part of doing the show. Yes. Wow. I love that. I'm really curious to know though, how the horse and buggy guy responded when he found out he had a son. At first he didn't know it was all planned. It was like, oh my goodness, can you believe this? What happened? You know? And so at first he was like, oh gosh, I'm sure from his perspective, it was, he had just gotten back together with his wife, just moved in. And then how do you explain that? And all of the other stuff that went into it. One of the things that he said, which I'll never forget because it was so Kentucky and we're like, everything's going to come out in the wash. <laughs> you know, everything's going to come out in the wash. And I'm like, it yeah. all works itself out in the wash. Yep. Yep. It wasn't until this was many, many years later, we had a phone call and he said, oh, so about the plan. And I said, the plan. And he said, yeah, you know, the plan And I could tell in his voice that he was pissed because somebody probably, well, I wrote this short story, right? (laughs) And we had mutual friends and friends who had had done the horse and carriage stuff together. So I said, you can be mad. You can be pissed at me if you want. But the fact is you have a son, you know, that you wouldn't have had, you know, otherwise too. Like it's all in how you frame it. So he did acknowledge that he knew that it was a setup. I mean, ultimately, he could have worn a condom. You know, it's interesting because I've said talking to my son as he's, you know, went through puberty, be careful of women trying to trap you. But it's like, and not only using a condom, but take that condom, tie a knot in it and put it in your pocket. You know, because I hear that. So that's a real thing. It's even a thing for lesbians. <laughs> you know, it's, it's real. Okay, but you did have another relationship. I did. This was 2016 or 2015. The woman who I was with had just turned 40. So it was like after that, really difficult to conceive. I said that I had enough love in my heart for a billion beings. So if that was something that she'd always wanted to, for that I had totally encouraged her to do it five IUIs in that year time. And after they each were unsuccessful and it was horribly painful each time that we would, you know, have the procedure and then it would fail and we'd cry. It would grieve. It was just, it was really hard. But after that year time, I was like, okay, it's been a year. She said to me that she wanted to have a child more than she ever did. If I didn't want to try anymore, then we needed to get a divorce. At that point in time, then it wasn't about a relationship anymore, because I think a relationship is about compromise, which I had been consistently, and I could have stayed. I could have stayed in the relationship and always been the one to bend, but that wasn't a relationship to me. Didn't you guys get married after like the second date? (laughs) We made history, Rena. So we were on our second date. I was in Kentucky. She was in California. My first date, I had come to visit her for a week. The second date, I had VIP tickets for Electric Forest, which is an amazing EDM music festival, you know, in this forest that's psychedelic and great dance music, love to dance. So I asked her if she wanted to go to that. And while we were there, the Supreme Court decision came out. Same-sex marriage was legal. 
in all of the states and we're like oh my god we should get married we really should okay okay neither one of us called each other's bluff so we're like okay let's look at google maps and the closest town was hart michigan and we drove there that same day went to the county clerk and we're like we want to get married and they said there's some stipulation like have you been planning this or whatever you know you like you had to have amount of time and we were like how could we have been planning this she gave us the form to fill out and at the top of it it said bride and groom or groom and bride and i was like this says groom and bride and she goes oh wait these are the old forms and i was like okay <laughs> she took it and she came back and it was crossed out and it said handwritten applicant one and applicant two. So we found this official, we asked about officiator. There was a woman who was also a lesbian. They gave us her number. We contacted her and we we're like, hey, same-sex marriage legal. It wasn't in Michigan, it hadn't been a state that it was. So she was super excited and she was like, we can do it today. And we were like, actually, we've got a DJ that we really want to dance to. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's let's get married tomorrow. And we're gonna. Well, we couldn't get a hold of her because we had her phone number from State Farm, which was her business. And so we kept trying to call and trying to call the next day. We had almost given up and we we're like, we're just going to marry ourselves, which wouldn't have been legit, right? Finally, I was like, let's check our phone log because I thought she called from her cell. So we called her up. Well, she was already with her girlfriend, her girlfriend's child or her child. They were driving to a ball game. And she's like, we can connect you with another officiant. I was going to do it for you pro bono, but we can connect you with another officiant. And I'm like, can we do it like on FaceTime? And she was like, okay. So we got married via FaceTime from the comfort of our tent at Electric Forest. We were the first same-sex couple in Hart, in Oceana County, Hart, Michigan, to get married. Isn't that crazy? Her girlfriend was the witness and also the flower girl who was asleep at the, at the car seat. It sounds like a built-in audience. Yeah, right? Even though that relationship was expensive, $25,000 expensive. I love California. It's a great love story. Again, it's, it's all in how you frame it. That is incredible. What was that first year like? The first year that I was here was pretty amazing. It really was. We were together for a couple years. So the first year was so fairy tale-ish, you know, it really was. Yeah. Talk to me about going through like the IUI thing though. I mean, for people that have never gone through that. I think there's so many times in people's lives where they're like, you know, I'll have a child after I X, Y, Z. My friend just really wanted to have a kid and she didn't want to do it for anybody but for herself and so she went through the process of going to the a sperm bank and selecting a donor you know based on all of these attributes and qualities and and she inseminated herself and she tried several different times and finally got pregnant and has the most wonderful daughter like that to me is really what it's all about you know somebody who's like this is what I want in my life and I'm not going to wait for all of these you know, boxes to be checked in order to, you know, to do or to strive or to go or to be. It works for the people, you know, and it doesn't for others. It's heartbreaking for others. I can't even imagine how it would be for gay male couples because then you don't even have the right, you know, I think it's even more difficult. They can't set up a plan. They can't set up a plan. No, that would be really tricky. 
you'd have to be really tricky to do that. Have you actually heard of that happening? Or would you volunteer to help somebody out in that way? I don't know if I would have. I think that I had like mild preeclampsia, so I was induced early. And I was so glad to have my body back when, you know, done with the breastfeeding and done, you know, like everything that goes into your body. So it is a sacrifice. Yep. The whole like hormonal part of like going up and down with your hormones, like being pregnant and nursing. And like, I feel like your hormones don't get back to normal until you're done with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been 25 years. I remember it because it was a pretty devastating time. What was the most devastating part? of being pregnant and dumped. That was pretty devastating. I think that because I had in my mind, I really wanted to wait. I really wanted to wait until after. Again, see, let me wait until after I graduate from college. It's like we have all of these things that will be like, I'll do this when I I was totally convinced that it was such a pretty picture that was painted. So yeah. I'm a sucker for beautiful words from pretty faces. I guess that's my, that's going to be on my tombstone. That's tough. Has that also been in your career? Have you ever been swooned for like a position as well? My longest stint was with CBS Interactive with Tech Republic. And there I had so much editorial freedom. I'm a tech nerd at heart. So anything that's new and shiny and glitzy, especially tech that's for good innovative stuff. Yeah. Talk to me about some of your juicy highlights of that role. One of my favorite things was they had said to me, you know, what do you want to do now? This was right when video was starting to take off. And so I was like, I'd like to create a video series where we highlight because it was a a community driven website, all of IT professionals. I was like, I'd like to create a video that highlights some of the members. They said, go for it. And that for me was probably the most significant that I had to, I had fun. I truly believe if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Yeah, I love that. Do you think that you'll start incorporating some of that into your show with your son? It's just episode three so far, but we have the Thompson Talk podcast. I am going to be incorporating a lot of stuff into the the video side of it too. So, Oh my God, well, let my listeners know how they can find that and how I can find that. Yes. So Thompson Talk, we're on all the, as far as the podcast is on all of the platforms right now. Also a YouTube channel, Thompson Talk. You'll see my face. You're not going to miss the purple hair. And my son, we look a little bit clonish, except for he's got the facial hair (laughs) and no purple. I would love to interview your son. Does he want to be on too? Oh my gosh. He would love to. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh my God. I just love it. Tell me about, you said his name is Andrew. Andrew, yeah. Tell tell me about his childhood. He's super creative. His alias, because he raps too, he goes by Don Naughty. So he's on SoundCloud. He's on a lot of the other formats. And he was even selling his single on like Amazon Music and stuff like that. So yeah, he's a creative soul for sure. I love that. Maybe we can get him to do some Better Call Daddy rap or something. (laughs) He would love it. He would love it, Rena. That is so cute. Was he like that as a kid? Like he liked to perform? Oh my gosh. Yes. So this is one of the things that I've threatened actually on this last podcast that I was like, I have all of these old videos of Andrew. Even when he was, I remember four years old, he would start in this song and it would be, and the monkey, he was jumping and he went to it and he woo. And I mean, he just goes on and on and on and on. It usually was close to bedtime where I'm like, 
the end. Good job. Now go to bed. <laughs> so Aww. yeah, the music has run deep for a very, very long time. Did you find yourself making up songs too? Like, did he get that from you? I've always, I mean, a musician in a past life. He grew up with seeing mom on stage playing guitar. And before he was born, I, that's what I did. I drove horse and carriage and I played, you know, at different bars. Oh my God. Can you sing me something original? Sing you something original. Or do you have your guitar? I do have my guitar. Do you have something like favorite that you remember? Just like. This I was not prepared for. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> so this is a really short original called Crazy in Love. beautiful voice thanks I needed that thank you that was so beautiful yes well thank you I feel like I have got that rush the energy I feel like I'm vibrating yes <laughs> well is there anything that you would like to ask my daddy yeah you know I really wanted to know what he thought as far as insemination or what I did with just asking somebody hey do you want to <laughs> what's daddy think about that you know, it's funny. I think my dad wanted to donate. He still wanted more kids. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if my mom would approve of that. <laughs> that was so fresh. Thank you. Thanks, Rena. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. What a very interesting story with Rena and Sonia. And I love her song because it really states a little bit about what is crazy love? <laughs> I think that her question is, do you think about people that have artificial insemination or want to have a child, whether they're married or whether they're heterosexual or whether she's a lesbian or in the male case, whether they are, you know, where it's two men. Is the family network, can it be like on the TV now where it can be a diverse connections? Of course. The way I grew up, it's certainly a lot more liberal today than my understanding. I, I believe it's a man and a woman that are needed together to be able to raise a family and that it's very difficult for a single parent, whether it's a man or a woman, to raise children without something being missing or where you need extra help. The dynamic of the family can change because there could be an accident. I was driving home on Friday. I dropped off an invoice at the post office. I stop at the stop sign. It's my turn to go. I see in the left-hand corner of my eye that there's a big white truck just barreling ahead. I said, well, it's my turn. I'm sure it's going to stop. And then I hear my mom's voice say, danger. I don't go into the intersection. The other cars on the other side to the right of me 
do not go into the intersection either because it was my turn. And this big truck just is traveling around 50 miles an hour, goes through the intersection without stopping, is on their phone. And uh, there's no question that if I would have gone through there, I would say I had a 95% chance of being killed. So the dynamic of your family can change dramatically, even with a quirk of fate or a quirk of time. And it's all over. Does that mean that your family structure doesn't go on? Your children have to go on without their father. Your wife has to go on and come up with a new plan. If you're in the young age where there's people that go off to war and they get killed, does that mean that the dynamic of the family is now not correct? It's a very, very interesting question. You know you have a cousin. His wife was not able to have any more children without help. And she also went through some vitro. And I think it was 11 eggs were taken and 10 of them failed. Only the last one worked. And you have now a nephew that has a a little boy, which is through artificial help. And it really helped complete their family. So that's a wonderful thing. This girl here had a yearning to have a child. And part of it was because she was in a relationship with another girl that also had her own child. Isn't it interesting that they wanted to build on their family and it was her turn to have a child and one willing to sacrifice going to school so the other one could have a a child and make a group thing. Having children can help build a relationship. Also having children, we have seen now many, many times, actually sometimes destroys relationships and makes it even more difficult to stay together. So it's a very tricky situation. And what I love about Sonia is that having this baby, even though the relationship that she was having with this woman broke up, having this child and even using some unique way of being impregnated meant everything to her to have her own child and has an unbelievable relationship with him where they're going to live and do everything together like they're the best of buddies. So to her, it was worth whatever means necessary to complete her life. And having a child, even though she still has an attraction to women, she still wants to have the rest of the package. I find that to be extremely interesting. Didn't you want to donate your sperm? Well, the irony is that, as you know, the big conflict I had with your mother was that she closed the oven to the kitchen permanently where there could be no changing her mind after Stephanie. That was it. The only way that I, if I wanted to have still a son, I had to have, would have to use artificial means or uh, some type of surrogate or a, a, a new wife. But even though, uh, to be honest, I might've even looked into it. The fact is, is that it's more than just your own want of having a child. I already had three children. I already had a commitment to my wife. And what you're doing by wanting or yearning for another child is what is the dynamic of your family? What is the dynamic of your example to your children and to your children's children? That you don't just live for yourself. You also are setting an example to many generations of what your actions are. We've seen even from many episodes that there's deep-rooted issues that can occur when the parents don't set the right example. I know we're not perfect, but a lot of the choices that we make do affect the people around us. 
Very interesting. It is very interesting. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Bye.